Chapter Three of The Egoist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. The Egoist by George Meredith. Chapter Three Constantia Durham. The great question for the county was debated in many households, daughter-thronged and daughterless, long subsequent to the memorable day of Willoughby's coming of age. Lady Bush was for Constantia Durham. She laughed at Mrs. Mountstuart Jenkinson's notion of Letitia Dale. She was a little older than Mrs. Mountstuart and had known Willoughby's father, whose marriage into the wealthiest branch of the Whitford family had been strictly sagacious. "'Patterns marry money. They are not romantic people,' she said. Miss Durham had money, and she had health and beauty, three mighty qualifications for a pattern bride. Her father, Sir John Durham, was a large landowner in the western division of the county. A pompous gentleman, the picture of a father-in-law for Willoughby. The father of Miss Dale was a battered army surgeon from India, tenant of one of Sir Willoughby's cottages bordering Patton Park. His girl was portionless and a poetess. Her writing of the song in celebration of the young baronet's birthday was thought a clever venture, bold as only your timid creatures can be bold. She let the cat out of her bag of verse before the multitude. She almost proposed to her hero in her rhymes. She was pretty. Her eyelashes were long and dark, her eyes dark blue and her soul was ready to shoot like a rocket out of them at a look from Willoughby. And he looked, he certainly looked, though he did not dance with her once that night, and danced repeatedly with Miss Durham. He gave Letitia to Vernon Whitford for the final dance of the night, and he may have looked at her so much in pity of an elegant girl allied to such a partner. The Phoebus Apollo turned fasting friar had certainly forgotten his musical gifts in motion. He crossed himself and crossed his bewildered lady and crossed everybody in the figure, extorting shouts of cordial laughter from his cousin Willoughby. Be it said that the hour was four in the morning when dancers must laugh at somebody, if only to refresh their feet and the wit of the hour administers to the wildest laughter. Vernon was linked to Theseus in the maze, entirely dependent upon his Ariadne, to a fly released from a jam-pot, to a salvage or green man caught in a web of nymphs and made to go the paces. Willoughby was inexhaustible in the happy similes he poured out to Miss Durham across the lines of Sir Roger de Coverley and they were not forgotten. They procured him a reputation as a convivial sparkler. Rumour went the round that he intended to give Letitia to Vernon for good, when he could decide to take Miss Durham to himself. His generosity was famous. 
but that decision, though the rope was in the form of a knot, seemed reluctant for the conclusive close haul. It preferred the state of slackness, and if he courted Letitia on behalf of his cousin, his cousinly love must have been greater than his passion, one had to suppose. He was generous enough for it or for marrying the portionless girl himself. There was a story of a brilliant young widow of our aristocracy who had very nearly snared him. Why should he object to marry into our aristocracy? Mrs. Mountstuart asked him, and he replied that the girls of that class have no money, and he doubted the quality of their blood. He had his eyes awake, his duty to his house was a foremost thought with him, and for such a reason he may have been more anxious to give the slim and not robust Letitia to Vernon than accede to his personal inclination. The mention of the widow singularly offended him, notwithstanding the high rank of the lady named. "'A widow,' he said, "'I!' He spoke to a widow, an oldish one truly, but his wrath at the suggestion of his union with a widow led him to be for the moment oblivious of the minor shades of good taste. He desired Mrs. Mountstuart to contradict the story in positive terms. He repeated his desire, he was urgent to have it contradicted, and said again, A widow! straightening his whole figure to the erectness of the letter I. She was a widow unmarried a second time, and it has been known of the steadfast women who retain the name of their first husband or do not hamper his title with a little new squire at their skirts, that they can partially approve the objections indicated by Sir Willoughby. They are thinking of themselves when they do so, and they will rarely say, I might have married. Rarely within them will they avow that with their permission it might have been. They can catch an idea of the gentleman's view of the widow's cap but a niceness that could feel sharply wounded by the simple rumour of his alliance with the young relict of an earl was mystifying. Sir Willoughby unbent. His military letter I took a careless glance at itself lounging idly and proudly at ease in the glass of his mind, decked with a wanton wreath, as he dropped a hint, generously vague just to show the origin of the rumour, and the excellent basis it had for not being credited. He was chidden. Mrs. Mountstuart read him a lecture. She was, however, able to contradict the tale of the young countess. "'There is no fear of his marrying her, my dears.' Meanwhile there was a fear that he would lose his chance of marrying the beautiful Miss Durham. The dilemmas of little princes are often grave. They should be dwelt on now and then, for an example to poor struggling commoners, of the slings and arrows assailing fortune's most favoured men, that we may preach contentment to the wretch who cannot muster wherewithal to marry a wife, 
or has done it and trots the streets pack-laden to maintain the dame and troops of children painfully reared to fill subordinate stations according to our reading a moral is always welcome in a moral country especially when silly envy is to be chastised by it the restless craving for change rebuked young sir willoughby then stood in this dilemma a lady was at either hand of him the only two that had ever apart from metropolitan conquests not to be recited touched his emotions susceptible to beauty he had never seen so beautiful a girl as constantia durham equally susceptible to admiration of himself he considered Letitia dale a paragon of cleverness he stood between the queenly rose and the modest violet one he bowed to the other bowed to him he could not have both it is the law governing princes and pedestrians alike but which could he forfeit his growing acquaintance with the world taught him to put an increasing price on the sentiments of miss dale still constantia's beauty was of a kind to send away beholders aching she had the glory of the racing cutter full sail on a whining breeze and she did not court to win him she flew in his more reflective hour the attractiveness of that lady which held the mirror to his features was paramount but he had passionate snatches when the magnetism of the flyer drew him in her wake further to add to the complexity he loved his liberty he was princelier free he had more subjects more slaves he ruled arrogantly in the world of women he was more himself his metropolitan experiences did not answer to his liking the particular question do we bind the woman down to us idolatrously by making a wife of her in the midst of his deliberations a report of the hot pursuit of miss durham casually mentioned to him by lady bush drew an immediate proposal from sir willoughby she accepted him and they were engaged she had been nibbled at all but eaten up while he hung dubitative and though that was the cause of his winning her it offended his niceness she had not come to him out of cloistral purity out of perfect radiancy spiritually likewise was he a little prince a despotic prince he wished for her to have come to him out of an eggshell somewhat more astonished at things than a chicken but as completely enclosed before he tapped the shell and seeing him with her sex's eyes first of all men she talked frankly of her cousins and friends young males she could have replied to his bitter wish had you asked me on the night of your twenty-first birthday willoughby since then she had been in the dust of the world and he conceived his peculiar antipathy destined to be so fatal to him from the earlier hours of his engagement he was quaintly incapable of a jealousy of individuals a young captain oxford had been foremost in the swarm pursuing constantia 
Willoughby thought as little of Captain Oxford as he did of Vernon Whitford. His enemy was the world, the mass, which confounds us in a lump, which has breathed on her whom we have selected, whom we cannot, can never rub quite clear of her contact with the abominated crowd. The pleasure of the world is to bowl down our soldierly letter I, to encroach on our identity, soil our niceness. To begin to think is the beginning of disgust of the world. As soon as the engagement was published, all the county said that there had not been a chance for Letitia, and Mrs. Mountstuart Jenkinson humbly remarked, in an attitude of penitence, I'm not a witch. Lady Bush could claim to be one. She had foretold the event. Letitia was of the same opinion as the county. She had looked up, but not hopefully. She had only looked up to the brightest, and as he was the highest, how could she have hoped? She was the solitary companion of a sick father, whose inveterate prognostic of her, that she would live to rule at Patton Hall, tortured the poor girl in proportion as he seemed to derive comfort from it. The noise of the engagement merely silenced him. Recluse invalids cling obstinately to their ideas. He had observed Sir Willoughby in the society of his daughter when the young baronet revived to a sprightly boyishness immediately. Indeed, as big boy and little girl, they had played together of old. Willoughby had been a handsome, fair boy. The portrait of him at the hall, in a hat leaning on his pony with crossed legs and long flaxen curls over his shoulders, was the image of her soul's most present angel, and as a man he had, she did not suppose intentionally, subjected her nature to bow to him. So submissive was she that it was fuller happiness for her to think him right in all his actions than to imagine the circumstances different. This may appear to resemble the ecstasy of the devotee of Juggernaut. It is a form of the passion inspired by little princes, and we need not marvel that a conservative sex should assist to keep them in their lofty places. What were there otherwise to look up to? We should have no dazzling beacon lights if they were levelled and treated as clod earth, and it is worth while for here and there a woman to be burned, so long as women's general adoration of an ideal young man shall be preserved. Purity is our demand of them. They may justly cry for attraction. They cannot have it brighter than in the universal bearing of the eyes of their sisters upon a little prince, one who has the ostensible virtues in his pay, and can practice them without injuring himself to make himself unsightly. Let the races of men be by and by astonished at their gods, if they please. Meantime they had better continue to worship. Letitia did continue. She saw Miss Durham at Patton on several occasions. She admired the pair. She had a wish to witness the bridal ceremony. 
she was looking forward to the day with that mixture of eagerness and withholding which we have as we draw nigh the disenchanting termination of an enchanting romance when sir willoughby met her on a sunday morning as she crossed his park solitarily to church they were within ten days of the appointed ceremony he should have been away at miss durham's end of the county he had letitia knew ridden over to her the day before but there he was and very unwontedly quite surprisingly he presented his arm to conduct letitia to the church door and talked and laughed in a way that reminded her of a hunting gentleman she had seen once rising to his feet staggering from an ugly fall across hedge and fence into one of the lanes of her short winter walks all's well all sound never better only a scratch the gentleman had said as he reeled and pressed a bleeding head sir willoughby chattered of his felicity in meeting her i am really wonderfully lucky he said and he said that and other things over and over incessantly talking and telling an anecdote of county occurrences and laughing at it with a mouth that would not widen he went on talking in the church porch and murmuring softly some steps up the aisle passing the pews of mrs mountstuart jenkinson and lady bush of course he was entertaining but what a strangeness it was to letitia his face would have been half under an antique bonnet it came very close to hers and the scrutiny he bent on her was most solicitous after the service he avoided the great ladies by sauntering up to within a yard or two of where she sat he craved her hand on his arm to lead her forth by the park entrance to the church all the while bending to her discoursing rapidly appearing radiantly interested in her quiet replies with fits of intentness that stared itself out into dim abstraction she hazarded the briefest replies for fear of not having understood him one question she asked miss durham is well i trust and he answered durham and said there is no miss durham to my knowledge the impression he left her with was that he might yesterday during his ride have had an accident and fallen on his head she would have asked that if she had not known him for so thorough an englishman in his dislike to have it thought that accidents could hurt even when they happened to him he called the next day to claim her for a walk he assured her she had promised it and he appealed to her father who could not testify to a promise he had not heard but begged her to leave him to have her walk so once more she was in the park with sir willoughby listening to his raptures over old days a word of assent from her sufficed him i am now myself was one of the remarks he repeated this day she dilated on the beauty of the park and the hall to gratify him he did not speak of miss durham and letitia became afraid to mention her name at their parting willoughby promised letitia that he would call on the morrow he did not come and she could well excuse him after her hearing of the tale it was a lamentable tale 
he had ridden to sir john durham's mansion a distance of thirty miles to hear on his arrival that constantia had quitted her father's house two days previously on a visit to an aunt in london and had just sent word that she was the wife of captain oxford hussar and messmate of one of her brothers a letter from the bride awaited willoughby at the hall he had ridden back at night not caring how he used his horse in order to get swiftly home so forgetful of himself was he under the terrible blow that was the night of saturday on the day following being sunday he met letitia in his park led her to church led her out of it and the day after that previous to his disappearance for some weeks was walking with her in full view of the carriages along the road he had indeed you see been very fortunately if not considerately liberated by miss durham he as a man of honour could not have taken the initiative but the frenzy of a jealous girl might urge her to such a course and how little he suffered from it had been shown to the world miss durham the story went was his mother's choice for him against his heart's inclinations which had finally subdued lady patterne consequently there was no longer an obstacle between sir willoughby and miss dale it was a pleasant and romantic story and it put most people in good humour with the county's favourite as his choice of a portionless girl of no position would not have done without the shock of astonishment at the conduct of miss durham and the desire to feel that so prevailing a gentleman was not in any degree pitiable constantia was called that mad thing letitia broke forth in novel and abundant merits and one of the chief points of requisition in relation to Patton, a lady willoughby who would entertain well and animate the deadness of the hall became a certainty when her gentleness and liveliness and exceeding cleverness were considered she was often a visitor at the hall by lady patterne's express invitation and sometimes on these occasions willoughby was there too superintending the filling up of his laboratory though he was not at home to the county it was not expected that he should be yet he had taken heartily to the pursuit of science and spoke of little else science he said was in our days the sole object worth a devoted pursuit but the sweeping remark could hardly apply to letitia of whom he was the courteous quiet wooer you behold when a man has broken loose from an unhappy tangle to return to the lady of his first and strongest affections some months of homely courtship ensued and then the decent interval prescribed by the situation having elapsed sir willoughby patterne left his native land on a tour of the globe end of chapter three Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey.